Good morning, church. It's good to see you and be with you this morning as we continue on through our uh, our series uh, from Garden to Glory. I did want to mention just uh, off the bat at the beginning of the uh, of the the morning. Um, that this uh, really cool image is not just something we found online, but it's something that uh, that Courtney Villarreal made for us, um, and so it's a, it's a pretty sweet uh, sweet image. And anytime we uh, look professional or cool, it's because Courtney has designed it for us. Uh, and so thank you, Courtney. It's a wonderful image. Yeah, please. <clears throat> uh, we're, we're talking about the unfolding story. Uh, of the scriptures. And, and we said last week, the Bible, uh, it was, you know, 66 books written over m- several thousand years, uh, but uh, many human authors, but one divine author. Uh, and so because the Bible does have a, a single author in, in God, uh, God did write it, we can trace a story from Genesis to Revelation. There are discernible uh, themes, there are movements in the story. And so that's what this series is about, is, is tr- tracing uh, this, the unfolding story of God. Last week, we saw creation uh, as the pattern of the kingdom. We saw uh, that, that uh, God spoke and everything was, right? That, that, that uh, you know, it was only by the power of his word that he created us and all that we, we see. And there's nothing more foundational than, than creation, right? That we are creatures. We are dependent uh, on him. He, he is the creator and we are the creation. And today, uh, we move to the fall, we move to the fall, which is uh, a, a sad part of the story, um, the fall of humanity, how we, uh, how we fell from our original state. Uh, Pastor Kevin mentioned a couple books last week, and I wanted to, to mention them again as well as add one. Um, God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. This is really, he really helped us to structure kind of the, the eight sermons in this series and going through the whole Bible. Um, and, and so that, that's been really helpful. According to Plan by Graham Goldsworthy, this is where Roberts gets a lot of his uh, his stuff from uh, the God who's there, D.A. Carson, great book. Uh, check that one out. And then the last one is Biblical Critical Theory by Chris Watkin. Uh, I wanted to to add this one. Uh, this is a, a phenomenal. It's a newer book. It's a phenomenal book um, with a I think an unfortunate title for for the American context. He's Australian, so I, I don't think his his context is, has the same uh, baggage that we do. I think if, if you've just heard of critical theory in regards to critical race theory, then I think you'll have the wrong idea about what this book is. Um, th- this book is just like Augustine's, you know, magisterial, you know, classic city of God, uh, basically t- tells the story of the Bible and, and through, through the Bible critiques his modern Roman culture. Uh, Chris, Chris Watkin in, in this book tries to do the same thing. He tells the story of the scripture uh, and, he, and he lets the, the Bible story critique our late modern Western culture, our current culture. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really great book. A lot of how I'm, I'm thinking about uh, this, this passage today, it comes from him as so I'll reference him, but I, I did want to mention that front so you know it, it's not, uh, I'm not plagiarizing him. Uh, I just, I'm really, uh, I'm really persuaded by how he talks about this. And so, uh, great book, check it out. If you're, if you're not a reader, it's probably a little thick for you, but if, if, you, if you like philosophy, if you're at all interested in that, then I, I know you'd, you'd enjoy it. Uh, we're gonna talk about three things today, three movements in, in the, the sermon, three questions. Where did we fall from? First, how did it happen? Second, and what does it mean? Third, pretty simple. Where did we fall from? How did it happen? And what does it mean? Let, let's take a moment and pray and we'll begin. If you will, I'd love to just give you a moment to, to pray uh, in your own seat and for yourself. 
Uh, would you ask God to speak to you today through his word? Would you pray also for your neighbor, the person beside you, people around you? Would you ask God to speak also to them? Lastly, would you pray for me that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? Father, you know that we need you. Uh, you know that we, uh, we, we come here and we have, we're so distracted in so many ways. Um, but there's only one thing that's necessary. There's, we, we really only need one thing, and we need you. We need your presence. We need your uh, spirit. We need your word. We need your truth. And so would you please come and would you speak to us? Whatever barriers we have in our hearts that, we've, we, that we know are there or that we don't know are there, to, hear, to truly understanding your word, to truly hearing and submitting to you, would you break those down um, and would we, would we be able to hear what you're saying? We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Number one, where do we fall from? Where do we fall from? Uh, if, I, uh, if I told you that I fell off of a curb out in the parking lot, um, you might say, okay, are you okay? You know, it's unfortunate that that happened. Um, if you, but if I said I fell off of a four-story building the other day, uh, you might have some more questions about that, right? You might, that was a little more significant of a fall. And so I think when you, when you talk about the fall, you have to say, where did we fall from? How, how high was it? What did we fall off of um, to know the extent of it? And so uh, it's important that we look at, at where we did fall from, where we came from. And Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, it says this, let, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man, verse 27, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. Male, he created them male and female. Uh, this, this verse says, right, we are created in the image of God. We're created uh, in, in his, in, in the image of the creator. Um, and modern people, I think, say two things simultaneously, right? They say two things simultaneously. Um, they say, they say uh, one, um, that, that we are like gods, right? That we are gods that, hey, you can choose your own destiny, Right? You can choose, you, you, you determine uh, your lot in life. You, you can, by your choice, you can choose your, your goals, your, uh, your gender, your identity. You can choose, you can make all the choices uh, yourself and you can, you can be whoever you want to be. It's only your sovereign choice that matters, right? You are God, say. And also, at the same time, right? These actually, they, they, you hold this at the same time. Uh, the modern people also say, 
you're just a mishmash of your biological drives, of your desires, of the, the genes that have come down to you from your ancestors. Um, and that's all you are. You're, you're, just a, you're a mix of, of all, the, th- of all the, the desires that you have to propagate the species, right? You are an animal. <laughs> you're a god. You're just an animal, right? And both of these are distortions. They're both distortions of the biblical truth. And the biblical truth is this, that we're made in the image of God. Notice we're made in the image. So we're not God, <laughs> you know? Like we can't just determine things. Our, our, we, we can't create like God can create. We can't define reality for ourselves. No, we're dependent. We're creatures, right? We share this with the animals, don't we? That we depend on God for life and breath and everything. We're, we're made in the image of God. It means we're not God. Uh, but we're made in the image of God, and there's dignity there, right? But we're not like, we're not like the animals. Of no animal, as it said in, in Genesis 1, they were created in the image of God. No, we're not just the highest animal. We're not just the most advanced animal. No, we're, we're, cre- we're distinct because we, we have the image of God in us. We are like him. We share his qualities. We are, per- we are people. We are personal. We, ha- we have consciousness. We have a will, right? We, there's all these ways that we share and we are like God. We're not God. But we're not an animal either. We're humanity. We are people made in God's image. And as people made in God's image, we're given a job, right? It says rule. You'll rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and keep it, to cultivate. And he said, fill the earth and subdue it. And so this is, this is the creation mandate that we are, God, as people made in God's image, we are God's representatives on the earth. We are vice regents. We were made to, to rule over and to, to cultivate and make the world flourish. And it was to, to it would, uh, it would, uh, cooperate gladly with us. This was our job. This, was our, this is so much meaning and purpose that humanity has been given. And this is our, this is our birthright. This is what, what we were created for and who we were created to be. And, and this is important for a, a lot of reasons, uh, but one of them is because uh, some people and some modern people have a, a single lens anthropology. They have a single lens anthropology. Uh, and, and what this, this means uh, is that basically you can only look at uh, humanity, you can only look at, at the world through uh, our current state, through how things are now, right? And, and if you can only look at the world, think how things are now, then, you know, evil is just a constant, uh, you know, good is a constant, like, like all, the, uh, it's just, this is the situation of, of where we are. Uh, and, and you can see this, I, I think once you, once you, you know this, you'll start to see it all the time. Um, but, but here's an example. So this is a, Yuval Noah Harari is a, 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 a popular historian, philosopher, author um, right now. And he, he tweeted this, I think at the end of August. Uh, he said, from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. Whatever is possible is by definition also natural. A truly unnatural behavior or uh, one that goes against the laws of nature simply cannot exist, or so it would need no prohibition. Okay, now that's a little bit dense, right? Well, what's he saying? He, he's saying he's, he's coming from a single lens anthropology. He can just see the world and how it is, how it is now. Um, and so he says, from a biological perspective, right? So just looking at biology, looking at the world. All right, uh, nothing is unnatural if it's possible. It's also natural, why right? we, we can, so, so why would you need a prohibition to something that's possible, something that's, that's natural? 
And, and you can see where this is leading, right? Like you can say, well, the lion, you know, chasing down and eating the antelope. You can say, oh, that's, that, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. Well, no, it's not wrong. It's, it's natural. This is the circle of life. We learned this in the Lion King, didn't we? And then this is how lions exist, uh, right? And uh, okay, so that, that, that violence is totally natural. Okay, well, how about, how about me killing my neighbor because he, he drove over my grass? Is that, what about that violence? Is that natural? Yeah, it's actually totally natural. If you look at through all human history, uh, a lot of people have killed their neighbors, right? Like this human, human on human violence, very natural. So how can we say it's wrong? How can I say that's wrong? The, the, the lion and the antelope, that's fine. That, that, that's good, but, but me killing my neighbor, that's wrong. If it's all natural, right? Do you see, if you see, if you see just from this lens of, of our current existence, it, it, one of the problems is it's really hard to ground morality anywhere. It's really hard to say anything is wrong if it's possible. And we need, um, as Christians, I, I think we need, and this is what, what Watkins calls a, a multi-lens biblical anthropology. And you're like, Lawson, you're such a nerd. Stop. I'm sorry. It is a little nerdy, okay? But let's just pretend that we're all nerds and we all enjoy this kind of stuff just for this morning, okay? Now, it's kind of a nerdy sermon. So we need a, a multi-lens biblical anthropology, which means we need to be able to see the world through, from the Bible's point of view. We need to be able to see the world through, not only through how it is now, the fall, which we should be able to see how the world is now, of course, uh, but we should be able to see the world through the lens of the creation, of what, what the design was, and also through redemption, where, where we are going, what will be, what will happen. And so we can say with absolute certainty, you should not go kill your neighbor, right? That violence is wrong. Why? Well, because, they're, they're, because of the story. Right? We were designed for harmony, uh, and that is sin, and that will be put away forever, right? It's not right. right? We need a, 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 the, the multi-lens biblical anthropology. We need a view from all these lenses to see reality, Right? And, and, and this is important. It's a, this is why it's important to know where we fell from. It's important to know what, how did it start. And we were people made in God's image. Right? And, and you can kind of picture these, these kind of three different relationships. We were made for a relationship with God. Right? Perfect, submissive relationship with God. Right? That, that he, he is the creator. We walk with him in the cool of the day. We're made for perfect relational unity with each other. Right? That we love, the love, care. Right? Um, that, that we, we uh, it's perfect peace and, and harmony. And then perfect relationship with the, with the created world. That the creation would, would submit to us, would, would submit to our, flir- our, our cultivation uh, and, and would, would grow food. It work would be a joy in, in cultivating a garden that, that there are no weeds and no thorns and no thistles, right? What does that mean about work? This is what we were created for. And I think the, one of the, the, the verse that, that just sort of uh, summarizes this in, is, is at the end of Genesis 2, 2.25. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Right? And, and if you just think about that for a moment, we, we don't know what that is like. Right? We don't know what it's like to live without shame. In fact, we put on clothes every morning, don't we, as an, as an ongoing reminder of our loss of innocence. Right? We, we can't go back to how it was. Right? Instead, we have to hide. We have to cover. But this is what, what, where, where 
Adam and Eve were, right? They lived in a perfect place. They lived in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, naked and no shame, perfectly transparent, wholehearted. This was wonderful. And so where do we fall from? Uh, we fell from a great height. A great height. Number two, how did it happen? How did it happen? Well, uh, God gives the man and his wife one prohibition. All right, one prohibition in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Right, they're put in this perfect environment. They're, they're allowed everything. You can eat every tree, but there's only one you can't eat. You know, I think of the, like, you, you, you had one job, you know? It's like you had one rule. This is one prohibition. And this sets up, uh, this sets up chapter three. Um, chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, as, as we get into this, there, there's a, uh, so many curiosities uh, so many questions. This this story leaves, I think, more questions, uh, you know, uh, than than it, than answers. As far as just we, what we would like to know, like why is there a tree in the first place? Why is there a talking snake? Why isn't Eve surprised that there's a talking snake? Uh, and, and by the way, I think it's because there were talking, just like Narnia, there were talking animals in the garden. I think there will be talking animals on the new earth. And before you write me off, think about Balaam. Okay, okay, uh, that's what I'm trying, okay, I was, I was trying not to do that though, uh, the, the rabbit trails, that, but that's easy to do, isn't it, in this story, it's like, well, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about, and, and so I just want to remind us, we, we, uh, we have what we need, right, God has given us what we need in, in, um, in, in the scriptures and in, the, in this story, and the story of the fall, and so, uh, so we, <laughs> let's try to stay on track here, and I'll, I'm the, mainly the one who needs to stay on track, uh, and so let, let's, let's try to do that. So the snake, uh, the snake comes to uh, Eve. Now, it doesn't say explicitly in chapter three, uh, but everyone agrees the snake is Satan, right? In Revelation, he's called that, that ancient snake, uh, the serpent of old. Uh, he is the, the, the liar, the father of lies, the one who's been lying from the beginning. He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he comes to Eve here uh, in the garden. He wants to destroy what God has, has made beautiful. And so he comes to, to Eve and he asks her a question. Did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's like, no fruit for you, huh, Eve? <laughs> right, why, why does he do this? It's... it's he knows what God has actually said, and this isn't even close to what God has actually said. What's he doing? He's putting, he's putting a seed of doubt in her, in her mind, isn't he, about God's motives, about, oh, he won't let you eat any fruit, huh? No, that's not what he said, right? Like, he's just putting a little bit of doubt in her mind. Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Right, so she corrects him. She says, no, that's not, that's not what he said. Uh, you know, we can eat from any of the trees, but there's just this one we, we can't eat from. 
Um, and this, you know, she says, you must not eat it or touch it. Uh, so, you know, we don't have a record of God saying they couldn't touch it. Um, and some people make a, make a lot of that, like this is the human propensity to add to God's law. And I, I think there might be something to that. But I think overall, Eve gets it right. She corrects him, right? She corrects him, no, no, we can eat of any tree, but we can't eat of this one tree or, or we'll die. That's what God said. And then Satan comes out, guns blazing. No, you will certainly not die, the servant said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He, he directly now contradicts God. No, no, God's lying. God's lying to you when he says that. You won't die if you eat this. In fact, you know why he's, you know why he's not letting you have this fruit because he knows you'll be like him knowing good and evil, right? Which there, there's like a little bit of truth to that. There's this kind of a half truth. They, they would know good and evil or this was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They, they would know it, but not in a way that they would be a rival to God. They wouldn't have the power. They wouldn't have God's power. It was not like God's holding out on them, not letting them rise to be divine. No, no, no. He, he, he's hiding, he's, take, he's not giving them to this, he's not giving them this knowledge for their own good, and they would know evil by, by experiencing it, where they had only known good before. Verse six, the woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Right, she, she takes the fruit, she sees it, she takes it, she eats, she gives to her husband who's with her, he eats, and the rest is history. Right, they chose to rebel against God. And this, I think, is the core of human sin. Right, I think the core of human sin is, is, is human autonomy. It's, it's trying to be a law to ourselves, trying to be independent, act independently from our creator, from God and from his word that he's told us. I think that's the, the, the uh, you know, cunning brilliance of Satan here. What does he do, right? He, 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 he ends up, he gets Eve to, and puts her in the, the, uh, the judge's seat, right? The, the, the throne, right? He, he, he says, uh, he, he gets her through his questioning, through this line of thinking, he gets her doubting God, and then he gets her to evaluate, to, to her to evaluate God's command. And do you see, if you say, if, if, you, if you can look at God's command and say, that's unreasonable, I'm not going to follow that, then, then who is your God? Your own reason, you're saying reason is the highest authority. If God says something that's not according to reason, that I understand, then I don't have to do it, right? You're, you're putting yourself in the seat of God. And this is what, this is what uh, the, the serpent does. Before this time, Eve had always submitted to God's word. God's word had been her authority. She had said, I, God has said this, so it's good. That's what I'm gonna do. Now she says, okay, well, I'll evaluate. He said this, but then, and you look at the details, the woman saw the tree was good for food. She says, okay, well, let me evaluate. Well, the tree does look good. You know, it's, it's a delicious looking tree, which it always had been, by the way, but she hasn't ever been in the, in the place where she had never put herself in the judgment seat of human autonomy and say, I can act on my own authority here and decide what is right or what is wrong. She says, it's, it's good for food. It's delightful to look at. It's desirable for obtaining wisdom. You know, I think it might be good for me to know the knowledge of good and evil. 
and I think I can decide that. And so she acts outside of God's word. She tries to act in independence from him. And everything crumbles down. Everything crumbles down. And really you see in, in, in this and in, in the curses that follow the shape of our current reality. Right, you see the shape of our current reality. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For the first time, human, humanity feels shame, runs and hides from God. And haven't we been hiding ever since? So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? When God asks questions in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know the answer to them. It's because he's drawing us out. He wants to draw Adam out. And Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate. And you see Adam here, right? He goes from from being, uh, he's with the woman at the tree, right? The the archetype of the passive husband standing there, uh, abdicating his role of, of protector, of the one who should lead and protect and care for his wife, just stands idly by while, the, while the, the, the serpent tempts her and then he participates in sin as well. And then he goes here where he's confronted on it. And what is the first thing he says? It was her, right? He just throws her under the bus. And not only her, but, but also look, at, he also blames God himself. The woman you gave to be with me, you see, you know, God, it was just me and you in the garden. And, you know, who's to say if you hadn't have given me this woman, if maybe we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Right? And isn't this what we do? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was not my fault. Their fault. Their fault. The situation. This, it's not me. The blame. We hide. So the Lord asked the woman, verse 13, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Again. Was it serpent? Snake's fault. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you were dust and you will return to dust. You see here, um, in, in the relationships we were created for, remember, we were created for a relationship with God, perfect and submissive relationship to our creator and king. We were created for perfect shalom, perfect peace and love and unity in humanity, and then perfect uh, harmony also with the creation as we rule over and cultivate and make flourish the world. And we see um, in these curses, each of these relationships broken. 
Right, you see first with God because uh, Adam and Eve, they, what do they do? Initially, they hide. They hide, they run from God. And at the end of this chapter, uh, they're, they're removed from the garden. They're kicked out. Right? There's an there's a, a angel with a flaming sword, but they, they can't come back. Their relationship with God is, can never be the same. Right? Their relationship, is, they can't walk with him in the garden any longer. It's been broken. You all see the relationship with humanity broken. They were naked and without shame, and they went from that to, to blaming each other, right? throwing each other under the bus, to hiding, being, being filled with shame. You see in, in the curse of the woman that your desire will be for your husband, he will rule over. There will be power struggles right? in marriage, that there will be power, people trying to rule over each other. There's always will be conflict there. You see in, in, the, in even the first generation, Cain and Abel, right? the murder, Cain murders Abel. Our, our, our peace, our, our, our uh, harmony and, and love with one another is broken. And lastly, our, our relationship with the, with the world and the creation is broken. Right? Where, where work would have been a joy, it was meant to be a joy. And, and work and the world would, would respond to our cultivation. Now it's going to war against us. There will be thorns and thistles. There will be, it will be painful labor. You'll eat bread by, by painful toil. You'll have to sweat to get bread. Right? As anyone who has a job knows, right? <laughs> work, there's so much futility in work, isn't there? There's so much that wars against you. And so our relationship with creation itself is broken. If, you, if we go back to the, the framework from Vaughn Roberts, uh, the kingdom of God is God's people. We saw this last week in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Again, the creation, uh, God's people, Adam and Eve. Uh, the, the, God's place was the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then under God's rule and blessing was perfect fellowship stewarding the earth. Uh, in the fall, we, we see the undoing of all of these things. Right? God, God's people are now banished. Right? Banished, kicked out. God's place, the Garden of Eden, is now unapproachable. They can't come back. They can't, they can't be there. They're, they're, they're gone. They're kicked out. Right? And, then, and then instead of perfect fellowship, instead of stewarding the earth, there's disobedience and a curse. This is the fall. We, we fell from a great height and we fell very far, <laughs> didn't we? Now, what does it mean? Number three, what does it mean? Um, and trying to answer that question, how do, you, how do you preach a sermon, a comprehensive sermon on the fall? I don't know, so I'm not gonna try to do that. Uh, but the, what, what does it mean? Uh, some, some of the things that it means, well, the, the whole Bible uh, tells the results of, of sin, doesn't it? Tells the results of the fall, traces out how sin entered the world and what it did. Even just in these kind of next few chapters of Genesis, Cain murdering Abel, uh, the flood, Noah's flood, right? Mankind, the sin of mankind increased on the earth to the point where God said, I gotta, I gotta destroy all of these people except Noah. Uh, you got the Tower of Babel, right? Where human sin, again, human pride is on display. Uh, and, and so the rest of the Bible traces out the effects of sin uh, in, in the world. Um, but it also, and, and the whole Bible, uh, also traces out the, the, the remedy to this fall, right? Because this is why, uh, this is, you know, this is the, the inciting event. This is why uh, the drama of redemption had to happen because we did fall, 
And because we have sinned, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what's the remedy to that? And this is the story of the scripture, and this is one of the threads uh, that we will follow throughout the story of the Bible. But it starts even in this passage, even in, in uh, the curse, so in the part of the curse to the serpent, in Genesis 3, verse 15. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, so he says, there will be, he's talking to the snake, there's gonna be hostility between you and the woman, uh, your offspring, her offspring. Now, there's actually grace already here because uh, Eve, this is telling Eve, you're not gonna die immediately, right? Yes, death has entered the world. Yes, you, you weren't made, you were made from the dust and you weren't supposed to go back to the dust, but now you will. Now you will die and your body will crumble back to dust. Um, but but life, that's, not, that's not, not happening right now, right? Life will continue through your offspring. You will have an offspring. And then, and then it says, he will strike, he, so some offspring of the woman will strike your head, snake, and you will strike his heel. What is this talking about? This is what theologians call the proto-evangelion, the first gospel, right? Because even here we see the seeds of Christ. Right, we even here we see there would be someone. You know, the, the New Testament talks about there's uh, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. There would be an offspring of the woman who would come and would crush the head of the snake. There would be someone who would come, and we know Jesus came to destroy the devil and his works, and he did. But it cost him. He, he will strike his heel. What did it cost him? It cost him his life. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead to redeem us from the curse, right? From this curse, the curse of sin, the curse of the fall, the curse that we all live under and we're all born into. And what, what does it say? Isn't it amazing? What does it say about God and what he's like? That even in the first curse, the curse to the snake, even in, the, in that curse, he's saying, hang on. This is not the end. This is not the end. There is hope, even in punishment. And so we'll continue. This is the main thread of the scriptures, how, how the Bible points to Jesus and talks about his redemption. And I want to talk about one more thing that this means. What does the, the fall mean? And what does it mean for us? And, and this is an idea from, from, uh, from Watkin, and he calls it the asymmetry of evil, uh, the asymmetry of good and evil, rather. The asymmetry of good and evil. And he says this, the asymmetry uh, is this, creation and fall are not equal, and goodness precedes, exceeds, and succeeds sin. Okay? Creation and fall are not equal. Good and evil are not equal. I think we have this, this uh, sometimes we can have this, you know, just thought and this assumption in our heads that it's like yin and yang. It's like good and evil, these battling forces, you know, that kind of go at it uh, in the world. And we can, think, we can even think about God and Satan. They're kind of equals. They're you know, fighting against each other. Um, but this is not true, right? Th- this is not true. Good is, it, good is original, Right, good, good is is uh, is lasting. Evil is simply a distortion. Right, e- evil evil can only uh, twist what is good. Evil can't generate its own its, its own uh, you know ideas, its own matter. No, it can only twist what's good. 
It's a distortion. We see this even in, even in the, the story, in, in the, the Genesis 3. Uh, we see, uh, you know, the, the created world. What is, it's a gift to us, isn't it? It's good. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, it's beautiful. God creates, it's good. He creates the trees, it's good. He creates the creatures, it's good. And it's broken by sin, right? The creation was subjected to decay. And, and, and we see that. We see in so many ways that the creation is not what it should be. But can't we see the echoes of what it can be, what it once was, what it, what's will, what it will be someday? There's still glory there. Right? And so though the good was, was twisted, was distorted, it's, it's not lost. It's still, it's still good. It's still a gift. And we see it in, in the image of God, right? The Imago Dei. This is our given identity. God gave us this identity, who we are. We, we, are, uh, we, we are made in God's image. And, and by sin, that was broken, wasn't it? I was broken. They, they, there's so many people who don't even know who they are. They don't even know the, their identity, that they're, they're made in the image of God. They're the worth and dignity that they have. We try to find identity in so many things outside of God. It just kills us, doesn't it? But, it's, but, but that image was not lost. Though it's broken, we're still made. Each of us are still made in the image of God. It, it, again, it's, it, we, the good is original, and then it's broken, but it's not lost. What about our, our purpose? Have dominion, cultivate, fill the earth. This was our, our gift, our given purpose of humanity. And by, by sin, it was broken, wasn't it? Right, we'll try to cultivate now and it will war, war, the world will war against us. We'll, we'll, we'll try to fill the earth and subdue it, fill the earth, and we'll, you know, have kids, and that will, but that will not just be joy, that will be great pain. But, but our, our creation mandate, our creation purpose still exists, doesn't it? We are still to fill the earth. We're still to, to, to cultivate the world. And so though it's broken, Right, this, this good purpose, it's still there. It's still there. The good is original. The evil is a distortion. And if you go back to the, the uh, uh, this single lens versus the multi-lens um, view, um, if, if you look through only a single lens, if you only look through now and how we are now, um, it, it's very easy, and this is easy for us even as Christians to do this, isn't it? It's very easy for us to fall into uh, the darkness, Right, to be overwhelmed by the darkness. If we look in ourselves and the sin in ourselves for too long, what are we likely to be? Overwhelmed, aren't we, by darkness. If we, if we, if it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the sin and the evil that other people have done to us. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by, by evil and sin in the world, injustice in the world. Can't, if, if, we, if we just look at now, it's how it is now, it's hard to be optimistic, isn't it? It's, it's easy to be overwhelmed by the darkness. But if we look from the Bible's point of view, right, if we look through the multi-lens, if we look through the lens of creation, fall, of redemption, then we see that evil, that death, that sin, that pain is only a blip on the timeline of humanity. It's a, it's, a, it's a distortion. It's a, it's, a, it's a passing shadow. It's not what we were created for. It's not where we will be forever. Perhaps our, our novelist 
and our, our poets have said it best. Uh, Frederick Buechner said this, what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. See, death is not bigger than life. <laughs> no, life is so much bigger than death. Life is, the, life is the original and life will be forever. Death is going. Death is on its way out already. Death is defeated. In the Lord of the Rings, in the third book, uh, Sam and Frodo, the hobbits, are walking to Mount Doom and they're trying to destroy the ring. Right, and, and they, if you've read that book, they just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And, I mean, how many chapters can a person write about walking through wasteland? Uh, and there's all these enemies they're encountering, you know, the orcs and things that they, they're trying to destroy them. Gollum is like chasing them. They, the, you know, Frodo, the, his, the, the ring itself is corrupting him from the inside. I mean, it's, they're in a bad spot. And, and one, day, one night they lay down um, Sam, Sam is Frodo's best friend. He's just trying to help him get through. And he's so discouraged. He can see what, what the ring's doing to Frodo. He, he's, he's, you know, they're doing their best, but it's hard to keep their spirits up. And, and one night they lay down and Sam looks up. And here's what Tolkien writes. There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the, the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Do you see, isn't this what the scripture says? Isn't this what we know? Brother, sister, I don't know what darkness you're in. I don't know what, what, what shadow. I don't know what situation. I don't know where you are that you can't see. You can't see the end. You, can't, you feel like you're trapped. Oh, look up. There's light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of the shadow. All this darkness is a small and passing thing. Right? Evil can't touch it. <laughs> Evil can't touch good. It doesn't hold a candle to goodness. And hold on. You can hold on. Like Paul said, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. They don't compare. <laughs> they're, one's not, they're not the same size. Oh, no. There are far better things ahead than what we leave behind. Brothers and sisters, we've fallen from a great height, but because of what Jesus has done, the fall is not the end of our story and not the end of his story. Let's pray. I wanna give you a moment um, just to, to respond to the Lord yourself. What's he, what's he bringing up in your heart? How does he want you to press into comfort? How does he want you to press into challenge?
Father, we thank you um, that that though though darkness should be our our lot forever, Lord, we should our existence should be overwhelmed in darkness. We deserve punishment for what we've done. Because of Christ, we have hope. I thank you that you've shown us what's true and what's good. And thank you that you've invited us into your story, Lord. Or where we want to act independently of you, um, Lord, don't let us. (laughs) Bring us back. We want to submit to you and all you have for us. Father, for the person in here who doesn't have hope, um, who, who's just on the brink and said life is just too much, I pray that you would pour your love into their hearts. They would see that Jesus came for them, loves them, that you're inviting them to know you Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.